Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So fake it till you make it. Maybe you've heard that expression before. It means that if you don't know what you're doing, <clears throat> if you don't fit in, just pretend until you do. Boy, you're not sure how to approach a certain situation socially. or Hey, just fake it till you make it. You're on a new job and you're not exactly sure what to do. And hey, fake it until you make it. It's an interesting expression. And it's one that a man named Frank Abagnale Jr., uh, he, he took it to a whole new level, this idea of fake it till you make it. Uh, Frank Abagnale Jr., he was a con man who made his living pretending like he was things that he really wasn't. Uh, man, he had a very short but a fairly impressive career of deception. Check this out. He impersonated a Pan American World Airways pilot, logging over two million hours deadheading. Isn't that crazy? He pretended like he was a pilot and snuck onto a plane so that he could fly all over the country, basically for, for free. Uh, he faked it as a lawyer on the state attorney general staff. Um, he passed as a pediatrician in a Georgia hospital. He worked as a phony college professor, and he cashed 17,000 bad checks to the tune of two and a half million dollars. Crazy. So he would go on, uh, after he got out of prison, uh, of course, to write a book about his life as a con man. And it was called Catch Me If You Can. Maybe you saw the movie. Steven Spielberg made a movie out of it in 2002, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and all of his handsomeness. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's a fascinating story, but there is a very important lesson in that story. And that is this. You can look the part. You can walk the walk. You can talk the talk. You can fool a lot of people for a long time. You can even fool yourself, but in the end, uh, eventually, the gig is up. You can't fake it forever. And that is Paul's point to the Jews this morning as we finish up chapter 2 in the book of Romans. That all of their uh, external religious rites and rituals, that they were hollow. That they really meant nothing because their heart wasn't attached. They were faking it. You see, the Jews, they, they talk the talk and they walk the walk. And boy, again, you can fool a lot of people for a long time, and they really even were fooling themselves. But here's the thing, you can't fool the Lord. You can't fool God about where you are in your heart. Why? Because God looks past the external. He looks past your church face this morning. Right? When, you, when people have asked you, how are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm doing so good. The Lord saw you yelling at your kids 20 minutes ago, right? <laughs> so uh, the Lord looks past the external, and he looks upon the heart. And eventually, the gig will be up. You can't fool the Lord. And as we look again at the last few verses in uh, chapter 2 of the book of, of Romans, uh, Paul is really showing the Jews the emptiness of their religious rites and rituals, the danger, really, of trusting in works, the danger of trusting in our merits for salvation, the danger of saying, well, I'm a good enough person, or I've done this, or I've done that. Therefore, God will accept me. Uh, so Paul's going to really show us the folly of that by kind of calling out the Jews in their right of circumcision. Like, oh, great, we're going to talk about circumcision this morning. Welcome to church, we're talking about circumcision. Uh, it won't be as bad as you think, it will, I promise. So, but as we talk about the Jews and how they put their weight, their hope, in religious rites and rituals and works, 
boy, really for us this morning, by uh, implication, boy, we get to talk about the glory and wonder of God's grace towards us. What is grace? Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. That is that we are saved, that we have been taken out of the miry clay, that we were headed for destruction, and now we're headed for glory in heaven, not because we've been good people, not because we deserve it, but because God is good. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So verse 25 of chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up in the book of Romans. So Romans 2, verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the, the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. That's key. I'm going to say that again. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is uh, one uh, outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and this is key, circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So Paul here, he, he finishes up this uh, second, or, or really the second chapter. It wasn't a second chapter for him, it was just one letter. But we look at the end of this uh, chapter, and you know, he's been calling out all of humanity as we've opened up the book of Romans. That's kind of his point. The, the whole overarching theme of Romans is the righteousness of God, man, that he saved an unworthy people. But in order for us to really appreciate or to grab a hold of the good news, first we need to be introduced to the bad news. Before we are excited that we've been saved, we need to know that we need saving. And that's what Paul is doing in the opening chapters of uh, Romans. He begins with the heathen in chapter 1, where he goes through all of the, the heinous things that we uh, do in our uh, wickedness as humanity. Murder and adultery and lying and all of those things. He says, the heathen, you're guilty. Then he makes his way from the obvious robber to the self-righteous person who uh, thinks that they're okay. And Paul says, man, you are guilty. And now he's going after the Jew, God's chosen covenant people. And he's saying, look, you guys have the law. You're God's chosen people. You belong to Abraham. You have all of the external looks of going to heaven, but you're guilty as well without Jesus. And that's what he's getting at. All of their external rights and uh, you know, religious activities, they don't mean anything if they're not a manifestation of what's going on uh, truly in their heart. And this thing of circumcision, right, as we're going to see, it, it was a mark in their flesh, but it was much more than that. See, from the very beginning, uh, God, as he chose Israel to be his covenant people, and again, I love that God chose Israel to be his covenant people. Why? Because it's as if God looked over the face of the planet and said, where is the most stubborn obstinate, stiff-necked group of people. I can, oh, there they are, the Jews. Perfect, they'll be my chosen people. I will use them to be an example of my goodness and grace 
Because it's interesting, God says to the Jew, I want you to go left, and they go right. I want you to stand up, and they sit down. They just can't obey, and yet the Lord sticks with them, and we see this wonderful demonstration of his mercy and his patience and his long-suffering, and it really is a beautiful thing. But God chose the Jew to be his covenant people. He entrusted them with the law, uh, with with the Messiah, uh, with the gospel, this thing that we're doing here this morning. You know, we're doing church because we're Christians, right? But do you know who all of the first Christians were? They were all Jews, all of them. Uh, Christianity was birthed out of Judaism. And so God's chosen people were the Jew. And God kind of instituted this thing of circumcision to set his people apart physically. And back in Genesis chapter 17, we have the sign of this covenant that God made with Abraham. And starting in verse 1 of chapter 17 in the book of Genesis, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So so God comes to Abraham, and he makes this amazing covenant, all these promises from God to Abraham. Man, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now remember, it just said that Abraham was 99 years old. How is he going to be the father of anything at 99 if he doesn't have any kids? Only by God's miraculous hand. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Kings will come from your lineage. Who's the greatest king that came from the lineage of Abraham? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus if you're new. Jesus. He made this deal. It said, I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. The creator of all things said, you are my people and I am your God. And all of this land that I promised you, it's yours. This is a promise. But see, there was a a, a sign uh, for this covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. So that was the sign. That God came to this group of people and said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And as an outward symbol of that reality, we're going, to, we're going to do this thing called circumcision. And that way, everybody will know. I mean, not everybody, really. I mean, I guess it would be a select few that would know. But you would be reminded every single day as a man that you were marked in your flesh for God. And it would be a reminder, hey, I belong to the Lord. My descendants after me belong to the Lord. We're not to walk after the flesh, but we're to walk after the Spirit. And, and, and that's the point. See, this would be a, a, a huge deal for the Jew. Again, because it identified them with God. But it was more than just an outward symbol. And that's Paul's whole point here this morning. It's not just about this outward 
you know, this outward mark, this outward expression. It's about the heart. See, because circumcision was more than just an outward thing. It was a cutting away of the flesh. And the idea was that, that, that you would no longer live after the flesh, but that you would walk after God. That, that, that you would no longer walk after the flesh, but you would walk after the Lord. It, it's not about the physical mark. And, and we have examples of that throughout the Bible, that it's not just about the physical mark. In Jeremiah 6.10 Jeremiah says to Israel, he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. See, their posture towards the Lord was stubbornness. They, were stick- they weren't listening to the Lord. And God said, you need to circumcise your ears. Right? It's not about a physical thing. It's, it was a heart condition that he was talking about. And he really solidifies that if there is any question in Deuteronomy 10, 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no more. It's about the heart, and that's what Paul says here. He says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit. It's not about the outward uh, appearance. You see, the outward appearance is reflection of the inward change. But the Jew, God's chosen people, they lost sight of that reality. That it was supposed to be about this heart change where they were no longer walking after the things of the flesh, but they were walking after the Lord. They lost sight of that, and it became all about the external mark. That's what it was all about for them. They said, well, you know, look, we've got it made in the shade. We belong to God. Check it out. We're marked for him. Uh, And although physically they were circumcised, spiritually they were really just dead. And that's Paul's point. He says, I don't care if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't make any difference. If your heart doesn't match the action, then it is absolutely meaningless. Uh, that's it. And again, you can walk the walk, right? You can talk the talk. You can look the look. But unless there's been a heart change, it is absolutely worthless. Right? We talked about uh, Frank Abagnale, this con man who impostered all sorts of, of, of things. Right? You can look like a doctor, You can talk like a doctor. You can wear the lab coat. You can have messy handwriting. You can write prescriptions. But things start getting sketchy, don't they? Right? Because you don't know what you're doing because you're not really a doctor. Right? You can dress up like a pilot. You you can talk like a pilot. But you get behind a plane and you don't know what you're doing. Danger. And I'm telling you what, you would be alarmed. Google it. Actually, don't Google it. How many people impersonate doctors? I was reading an article about a young man, 19 years old. He's like, you know what? I've always wanted to be a doctor. So he went and rented space in like a medical complex. And he started seeing patients. They open up. He starts crazy. Anyways, that's the total. I wasn't. Oh, yeah. You can look like a doctor. But if you're really not, it's, it's just a dangerous thing. And that's the whole thing with, with uh, what Paul is saying. Well, you can look like you belong to God all day long. You can, you know, wear the, the Jews were all about their appearance, right? They had the robe and they had the tassels and they had the phylacteries, little leather boxes that they wore on their wrist or on their head that had a verse in it. The great Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Uh, you know, when they went to the temple, boy, to give, boy, they, they blasted the horn so they, hey, everybody, look, I'm tithing, just want you to know, you know, they're all about the external, but their hearts we're very far from God. And Paul's saying it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. This whole thing of circumcision, it's not getting you any points with God. Now here today, thousands of years later, 
You say, you know, uh, yeah, I'm kind of not getting the whole circumcision thing. Well, replace circumcision with baptism. Right? So for them, it was an outward mark that denoted an inward change. That's what uh, baptism is for the Christian. It, it, it's that outward action that notes an inward change. That's what we do when we get baptized. Well, uh, there, there's no salvation in baptism uh, at all. It, it's simply uh, a declaration that you're coming up before everybody and you're saying, hey, listen, I want all of you guys to have a visual on what's going on in my heart. See, because what baptism is, is it, we are identifying with Jesus. When you go under the waters of baptism, you identify with his death. You're saying, I'm dead to my flesh, my carnal nature, my will, and all of those things that are against God. I'm dead to that. I'm no longer going to walk after the flesh. And you come out of the waters of baptism, and you identify with the resurrection of Christ. You say, I'm going to walk forward in newness of life, and I'm going to walk after the Lord for all of my days. See, that's what baptism is all about for the Christian. And it's such a beautiful thing. Such a fitting thing. I was telling first service, I can't wait to break out the baptismal again. It's going to be wonderful. I think we got it going next week. Transition has been a little rough, but I love it when people come up and they display that, that inward change that's taken place. And we just rejoice with people. It really is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a fitting thing. If, if there's been an inward change. See, if you, you've come up and you've been baptized and it was just because you felt like you needed to get your act together. You felt like, man, I just need to turn over a new leaf and do the right thing. It didn't mean anything. You can get baptized at church. You can get baptized at the pool. You can go the next week and get baptized in the lake. You can get baptized forward, backwards, upside down twice on Sunday. It's meaningless unless it's a manifestation of a changed heart that's now walking after the Lord. Baptism is not a means of salvation. It's an expression of the saved. Right? Baptism is not a means of salvation. It's an expression of the saved. It cannot save you. And that's Paul's point. And that's really what we get to talk about this morning. That there is no religious activity at all that can save you. Not baptism. Not being dedicated. Well, I was dedicated when I was a baby to the Lord. That's wonderful. But that doesn't mean that you're saved. You know, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you have a foundation. But that doesn't make you saved. Uh, neither does being a church member or taking communion or any other religious rite. And that's the way it was with circumcision for the Jew. And that's what Paul's getting uh, at here. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. Nothing. Not a single thing. Not confessing your sins to another man. Not saying ten of these or five of those. Not knocking on 500 different doors and handing out magazines. Not riding your bike all around the world, wearing a tie and a name tag and mowing a stranger's lawn. None of those things. See, you can't earn God's favor. Why? Because, God's, because God, he's perfect. God's standard is perfect. And so if we're going to earn God's love, we have to say at a certain point, so when is it enough? At what point have I earned God's love? At what point have I met the criteria? Because, you see, if you've broken one law, the Bible says you're guilty of all of them. So what do we do with that? Uh, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But here with the Jew, right, this thing of circumcision 
When I say that they leaned on it for salvation, that they put their trust in it, I mean, they put their trust in it. They believed that Abraham, remember the guy in Genesis chapter 17, the guy that God made the covenant with, who said that, man, your descendants are going to be my people and I'm going to be their God. And the mark of that is going to be circumcision externally in the flesh to reflect a change in the heart that they don't walk after the flesh, but that they walk after me. Remember that guy? So the Jews believed that he was standing there at the gates of hell before Gehenna and that he was on guard making sure that no circumcised man accidentally entered into hell. Like, oh, you're circumcised, you can't go to hell. No way. Like, that was their fire insurance. You guys have heard of Peter at the pearly gates, right? St. Peter making sure that you can get in. This is a way more awkward version of that, where Abraham is making sure that no circumcised men are going to hell. But how ridiculous is that? Right? We know that that's not true. But that is how much they leaned uh, on that right of circumcision. And here comes Paul blowing up their world, right? Generation upon generation upon generation has built their lives, taught their kids, man, this is how you please God. This is how you get to heaven, by doing this, that, and the other. And Paul comes and he just throws a grenade, says, nope, that is not the way this thing works, guys. And maybe, you know, there would be those to say, hey, who's this Paul guy? Well, what does he know about anything? Don't you come here and tell me about the law, But here's the thing that I love is that Paul's the perfect guy to tell them about the law. He is an authority as far as all things law are concerned. Paul says of himself, man, I am the Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, There in Philippians 3.32, Paul writes this. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now, when he says dogs, he doesn't mean like the German shepherd on your street. He means the religious zealot who seeks to tear you up. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, hey, listen, we're circumcised. We were Jews once too, but now we worship God in the spirit. It's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit. And we rejoice in Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in those external religious rites anymore. Those aren't getting you into heaven. And now he begins to lay it out. Though I also... Uh, might have had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks they have, uh, may have had confidence in the flesh, I more also. So see, here's the thing. Paul, he was a pro. If there was something religious to be done, he had done it uh, times 10. He was the religious guy. And now Paul is saying, if you think that you can have confidence in the flesh, in your religious rights and activities, nobody can have more confidence in me, Paul says, because I've done it all. He says this, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Right? So all of these qualifications, these are all the things that would have blown those guys away like, whoa, you are the religious man. Paul says, if you've prayed, I've prayed harder. You know the Bible, I know the Bible better. You've given, I've given more. Don't tell me about works, Paul would say, because I am the king of works. And you know what Paul uh, really, he comes to the conclusion about works? This is what he says in verse 7. He says uh, of Philippians chapter 3. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. All those things where I was trying to earn God's favor, where I was trying to be good enough, where I was trying to be accepted. And that's all lost. It's all a waste. It means nothing. 
All of those things that Paul talked about, all of those things that I talked about, if you grew up in a Christian home, if you've been baptized, uh, all, all these things that we practice, and those things are so wonderful, you guys. It's great to walk in those things. Again, if it's genuine, if it's a reflection uh, of the heart, but if it's not, it, it's just worthless. It was all about the heart. Uh, activities, Commitments, church stuff, doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, it's only by the blood of Jesus. It's only what Jesus did on the cross. And see, there are those that would say, man, you can't get into heaven if you haven't been baptized. That's trash. That's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. And there are those that would say, if you're not part of a church, if you've never taken communion, it, it, all of these different things, if... If you haven't participated in the religious activities, then you can't get in. But here's the thing. You got one little problem. You got the story of the thief on the cross. He was a criminal. A criminal. He was a criminal. He was a criminal. And he wasn't like a jaywalker. He didn't get caught like tagging a sign, doing graffiti. Like, he was a murderer. He was a thief. He was uh, the lowest of the low. And there he was on the cross with another thief in Jesus. And you guys remember the story. The, at first, he kind of railed on Jesus with the other thief, but then he recognized who Jesus was. He said, remember me. And Jesus said, today, you would have been with me in paradise if you would have gotten baptized. No, that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He never had time to join a church. He never had time to get confirmed or to, uh, you know, take communion or to be baptized or, or whatever. I think I said baptism twice, but you get the point. He never had time to do any of those things. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He says, if those who are uncircumcised fulfill the law, then their uncircumcision is counted for circumcision. Right? It, it, it doesn't matter. I've, I've said circumcised so many times today. Like, I mean, if you want a weird, no, don't go back and count. I'm just saying. But... But he's saying it doesn't matter if you do it or not. It's about the heart. And, and that is uh, the point of what he's, he's getting at this morning. And there in Philippians, when, when Paul said, hey, you know, look out for the dogs and the mulators. That was a warning uh, and a reference, really, to the Jewish legalists who required new converts to Christianity to become circumcised. You're going around saying, no, you've got to do all these things. So watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those guys. Watch out for those mutilators, those who say that there's a penance to pay, those that say that there's work to be done. Uh, because if you really kind of break it down, right, if, if you are a breaker of the law, if you break the law, if you're circumcised and you break the law, Paul says that your circumcision has been counted as uncircumcision. It doesn't matter anymore. So uh, if a cutting of the flesh is what makes me right with God, and then I break the law, how do I get right with God again? Right? Because we all sin, and none of us can say, well, you know, I, I went through the religious rite, and then I never sinned again. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean we have to go through another religious rite? Uh, and another religious rite? And cutting off the flesh and cutting off the flesh? At what point? Who gets to say when an enough is enough? Again, and there can never be enough because if you break yet one law, you've broken them all. 
So what's our way back as humanity? Right? If it's not religious activity, if it's not saying our Hail Marys and knowing the Bible and praying a certain amount of day and doing all these things, then what is it? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Paul got it. Reading my notes. Check this out in Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is what Psalm 103 tells us. That he has removed our transgressions. That when we blow it, those sins that ought to be counted against us as Christians, they've been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. How? Isaiah gives us a hint in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 tells us this. Surely... He has borne our griefs, and he is Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, we've all gone astray. We've all blown it. But Jesus took our sin upon himself that we might go free. He was punished that we might experience righteousness. That's what the New Testament tells us. That he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what a wonderful reality that that is. So how are we forgiven? How are we accepted by God? How do we inherit heaven? We sang it earlier. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. It's not Jesus and communion. Jesus and baptism. Jesus and It's just Jesus. Just Jesus. Remember that. And think about the freedom that is attached to that. It's just Jesus. To believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that I broke the law. I know that I can't keep the law. But I desire to belong to you. Please forgive me. And you're saved. And we're free to walk in all that he has for us. What a wonderful truth that is. And so, so now what? We know that it's not about the external, but it's about the, the internal. It's about the heart. So where do we stand? And that's what I love about the book of Romans. I shared this on Wednesday night. That I love how these deep theological truths cause us to step back and, and think They cause us to examine our own lives. The Bible says that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you have to work for your salvation. It means we are to examine our lives. Are we just going through the motions? Are we talking the talk? Are we walking the walk? Are we just being good members of society? Are we just doing the right thing? And of course I go to church. It's a good thing. I'm a moral person. Are we just putting on a front? Have we gotten to the place to where we're even kidding ourselves? Is there a transformation that has taken place 
Has your heart of stone been replaced with the heart of flesh? Have you been born again? Can you look back in your life to that moment like, I was saved, and I know I was. I was was set free in that moment. And that's the first thing that we have to do in this place this morning. I do not want you to get this false sense of security that, man, I'm going to heaven because I'm at church or because I'm a good person or because, you know, I've been doing this forever and I'm just... You must be born again, the Bible says. And you do that by simply putting your faith and trust in the work that is already done. What a wonderful thing that is. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the implication this morning for us. And so if you're in that place and you're unsure, be sure. You just go before the Lord. You get right and ask for forgiveness. Say, I no longer want to walk after the flesh. I surrender my life and I desire to walk after you that you would be my God and I would be your people. It really is a pretty good deal. But then there's another application for us this morning as Christians. Those of us who have been born again, who have been regenerated, who have been walking with the Lord. See, again, works is this, this sneaky thing where we like to kind of know where we stand. We want to know where the boundaries are. We want to be able to check the boxes and say, all right, I'm good, I've got it. Uh, I'm in this place. And to serve the Lord, man, what a wonderful thing. I love serving the Lord. I love getting to, to share with you guys on Sunday and lead worship. And I, I love helping put away the chairs. There was a time in my life where all I wanted to do, honestly, was clean the toilets for the Lord. It sounds like a strange thing, but I was just so stoked to clean the urinals. I remember seeing people like, yeah, this is great. What a nutty thing to say. But if you know, you know, right? It's good to serve the Lord. But sometimes busyness can have effect on our walk with the Lord. And where we were once on fire and where we were once passionate, and all of a sudden there's a, a coldness there that has, has, has crept in. Mary and Martha, that story, where Martha was in the kitchen just working away. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha came out and was like, Jesus, you're going to tell her to help me with the dishes or what? This is ridiculous. I mean, he didn't really say, you know what I mean. Just so you guys who are new, I I paraphrase a lot. It's not actually what the Bible says. I'm not saying that's a paraphrase. And Jesus said, man, it's good to serve. Yeah, for sure. But she's chose the better thing, to just sit at the feet of the Lord. And we can get so busy sometimes, again, that we lose sight of what's important. And Jesus has a a, a word for a church in Ephesus. In in the book of Revelation there in chapter 2, Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, and they dealt with this exact same thing of being about works, having a heart that had grown cold. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, I know your works, your labor and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have preserved, or persevered, pardon me, and have patience And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent and do the first works. See, so this church, if you were to just look at it, if you were to visit it, you'd be like, this church is hopping. This church is happening. They had programs. They had works. They were busy serving the Lord, but with all of their external religious activity, their hearts were disconnected. 
They'd grown cold. And, and I want you to, to, to hear something. Uh, is that they hadn't lost their first love. It's not that they didn't know where it was or how to find it anymore. It says they left it. They left it. Their focus had shifted from, uh, you know, belonging to Jesus to what you can do for Jesus. And sometimes we can lose our focus. It's about working for Jesus and not belonging to Jesus. And there's a coldness that grows there. And so what's the answer? And it happens so subtly. Really. The answer Paul gives us to remember, to repent, and then to go back. To remember. Remember what it was like when you were first saved. Do you remember what it was like when you were first saved? Do you remember how stoked and excited you were? Man, worship music cranked up everywhere you went. There wasn't anybody that you wouldn't tell about Jesus. You remember how the exchanges at Walmart and Rayleigh's used to go? Like, hey, what's going on? Oh, yeah, thanks. That's so great. Where do you go to church? Like, oh, no. Do you, you're, and remember running into another Christian when you were first a believer? You're like, whoa, you're part of the family. And people are just like, you are nuts, kid. Just that joy of being saved. Remember where you left it. Remember. Remember, first of all, where you were. And then repent. What does repent mean? We talked about last week. It simply means to turn to the Lord. To change your mind. That's right, Lord. I changed my mind about this thing. I'm not going to be all about works and not about where the heart is. I want to focus on my heart. Work should be an outward expression of what's going on in your heart. Not something that you just keep doing because it's the right thing to do. Repent. Turn towards the Lord. And then go back. Go back to the basics. What were those things that you did when you were first saved? Not as an act of religiosity, but it says where you left your first love. When you, when you don't have your keys, we call them lost, right? But you left them somewhere. And you go back to where you left them and there they are. Go back to those things that you did when you were first saved. Not as a religious activity, but as an act of the heart. Lord, I want my heart to be tender. I want my heart to be soft. I want you to be my God, and I want to be your people. And that's what it's all about. And I shared with you guys last week just a, a little bit of my story, how really that it wasn't the fear of hell or somebody beating me over the Bible or over the head with the Bible that, that really caused me to, to surrender my life to the Lord. It really was, as we talked about last week, his kindness that led me to repentance, that I just stepped back and looked at how good the Lord had been to me, even though I was just totally walking in rebellion. And it broke me. And it caused me to walk with him, really, for the rest of my life. And when I get in those places where I feel dry, where I feel like I've left my first love, and that's my story. That's where I run. I remember God's kindness. I remember his goodness towards me. And as I begin to take inventory and I begin to begin be, be, be grateful, the praise and the hunger and the thirst for his word and for his people, it happens naturally. So go back and remember. So you've never given your heart to the Lord this morning, right? First group. And if you've been going through the motions, if you've been banking on your works, scrap it. Just like Paul said, Count it as loss and surrender to Jesus. Believe upon him and the sacrifice that he made for you and that alone and you'll be saved. If you've been going through the motions as a Christian and your heart has grown cold, then go back and remember and rejoice. It really is pretty simple when you break it down. 
The Lord knows your frame and he knows mine. He knows that we're sheep, that we're prone to wander off. But he's our shepherd and he shepherds us back by his spirit, with his word. And what a wonderful thing this morning that we, we come to this place where it's like, man, let's remember who the Lord was in our life. Let's remember what he's done. See, Jesus has even given us uh, a tangible uh, thing to participate in to do that in communion. And it's weird to talk about religious rites and activities and say, don't get hung up on those and say, hey, now let's take communion. But don't let it be about the act of communion. Right? Without a change of heart, man, it, it's Welch's and a stale cracker. Really? You're going to walk all the way up here for Welch's and a stale cracker? But see, when your heart is changed by faith, man, we remember that Jesus became sin, that he was bound, he was bruised and beaten, that we might be forgiven and healed, that his blood was shed, that your sin and mine might be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And what a great thing it is that we can come before the Lord and we can just and lay it all out before him, we can remember who he is and what he's done, and we can rejoice in his grace and leave here today walking in the freedom of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you again so much for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you know our frame. Lord, that you knew that there's no way that we could ever keep the law. You knew that there's no way that we could ever earn your acceptance or earn your love. Even if we tried our hardest, Lord, we would be an utter failure. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us in that place of destitution and despair, headed for destruction. But Lord, where we fell short, you came through. And you lived the perfect life that we couldn't. And you paid the price that we were not capable of paying. And you exchanged our sin as it was put upon you. And you gave us the reward for your righteous, perfect life. How could we add to that? Forgive us, Lord, where we've tried. Shake us, Lord. Wake us up where we've been kidding ourselves. And help us to rejoice in the simplicity and the wonder of grace. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we remember that truly you were beaten and bruised for us. And as we take in the bread, Lord, we remember the sacrifice that you made, that we should have been the ones beaten and bruised. As we take in the juice, we remember that our sins are forgiven because of the blood that you shed. Lord, that though our sins were scarlet, they've been washed white as snow. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to go through some crazy religious ritual, but that as we come to the table, really, it's just a celebration of what you've already done. And as we take in those elements, Lord, would we take in that truth and that reality again? Would it be real for us? Would you bring us back to that place of our first love, where we'd be on fire for you, excited to belong to you, overjoyed to be yours. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. 
We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.